seated. All of our kids must be traveling this week, or most of them. Usually we have a exodus going on. Open God's words with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. We're making our way through. We're in chapter 19. Mentioned last week, we're about two-thirds of the way through, so about another year we should be done. Last week we were talking about a fellow named Apollos. See, if, see in, in visitors, you're off the hook on this one, obviously, but there was one word that was used to describe Apollos last week. Anybody, does anybody remember that word? Okay. A good speaker. Eloquent. There we go. And, and we, we talk, eloquent is only, the word eloquent is used three times in the Bible. Once was when Moses said, Lord, I'm not eloquent. And that was in Exodus. The other time was in Isaiah 3.3, 3, when God was listing the things that he was going to remove from the people because of their sin, one of, of his judgments was that he was going to remove anybody from the land that was eloquent. And here we have Apollos, who is described as being eloquent. He was a learned man. He studied in the, in the universities in Alexandria. Uh, he, he, we taught, he, he's got a lot of things in, in this brief passage at the end of chapter 18 in the book of Acts that, that I think any of us might like to have on our headstone, if, if that would be said about us. He was, a, he was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the scriptures. This man has been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in the spirit. Remember that, that, that was boiling hot. The, the Holy Spirit's ministry in his life was, was not lukewarm. He, he, was, he was fervent in the spirit. He, he, he boiled over. He wasn't just kind of mamby-pamby about it, not sure about it. He knew what he believed in, and he was excited about it. He was, I can't, I can't, probably can't say he was on fire for the Lord if he was boiling, because the boiling water would put the fire up. Anyhow, uh, he was fervent in the spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he had a deficiency. He, the, what, what, the last that he understood and knew was the baptism of John. He didn't know that Messiah had come. And so if you remember, we talked about Priscilla and Aquila took him aside when he, was, when he came to Ephesus and he was preaching there. And Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and, and they, they lovingly instructed him so that he would be uh, not deficient, that he would be better able to proclaim the word, the whole word, the whole truth of God, and, and that he would not be lacking in, in, in deficient in that part, knowing that Messiah had come. So Priscilla and Aquila, they, they, they didn't beat him up in public. If, if uh, Let's see, 
Verse 26, he began to speak out, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They didn't poke him in public. They didn't try to make him look like an idiot in front of, of anybody that he was speaking to. They pulled him aside to instruct him. And, and you, you, can, you can understand and kind of get an idea of, of Apollos' personality. He, he was highly intellectual, highly trained, and, and you, you could see that, if anything, like Paul said at one time, that uh, all, the list of all the, his credentials, that he was a Jew, he was a Pharisee, and he was born a Roman citizen, and, and all these things that he could brag about, and, and uh, you, you think, look at Apollos, man. He, there, there's a lot that he could be kind of braggy about too a lot to be you know hey look at me look how smart I am look at all the training I've had but here was a man that was willing uh, uh, with with being being the only one in the bible as being described as eloquent not even Paul was as being willing to humble himself and to learn from this couple that, that didn't have the training or the education that he had and he, he didn't say, well, who are you to teach me? What, you know, come on. I'm the smart guy in the room here. No, he didn't do that. He, he was willing to, to uh, come under their leadership and their teaching and, and to learn from them. He was teachable. He, he was better equipped because of their teaching. As it said at uh, the end of verse 26, that he was able to explain or excuse me, they took him aside, explained to him the way of God more accurately. Then he went on, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he, he left Ephesus and went to Corinth, and, and we, just, we just saw Paul going the other way. Paul came from Corinth, came to Ephesus, and then went back to Jerusalem. I know I saw it in there this morning. I know it's in there. Thank you, Stephen. <clears throat> Got his haircut here in Sincrea, went to Ephesus over here, there we go, and then took ship down here. And as he was going there, Apollos was coming to town. And so while Paul was gone for that year or so before he makes it back at the beginning of his third missions trip, Apollos is there teaching, preaching, and then being helped and taught that he might preach the word of God more accurately. So now he, he continues on. He's leaving Ephesus, and he's going over to Corinth. And that leads Paul in 1 Corinthians to say, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the increase. And, and Paul, Paul wasn't threatened by, by somebody of Apollos' stature and learning and education. Um, he, he saw him as a fellow worker in the, in the gospel and in the ministry. So he wasn't threatened by some, the smart guy in the room, okay? He, he was willing to, to work with him. And so he leaves Ephesus, Apollos leaves Ephesus and heads to, over to Corinth to, to teach. And it says, verse 28 there, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that they had been looking for, 
And we, we talked that, that Apollos hadn't made it back to Jerusalem, and that's why he didn't understand or have that part of his training complete to know that Jesus had come, Messiah had come. And so he, he is now teaching in Corinth, uh, more, more rounded out and more complete in his training so he can teach and proclaim the whole truth of God. Chapter 19. We, I, I hope we'll get through the first 10 verses today, but I'm going to read 1 through 7, and, and then we'll start uh, tearing them apart a little bit. It came, uh, chapter 19, it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth... Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we'd not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into then what were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the uh, baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him, who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they had heard this, they were baptized in, this, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul, excuse me, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And they were in all about 12 men. There's a lot in there's a lot in those seven verses. Begin in verse 1. It came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, we just were talking about that, Paul has passed through the upper country. Uh, when, when the, after Paul got his hair cut, came to Ephesus, came back to Jerusalem, and then up to the church. This was his sending church up here in Antioch. It sent him on the missionary journeys. He reported there. He was there somewhere between six months to a year. And he headed back out, visiting the churches in Derva, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And then he headed up, up in this area, the northern part of this area called Asia. Not what we know as Asia today, but that's what it was known as in that day. And, he's, and he finds his way back down to Ephesus. He, he longed to them. He, he told us in chapter 18 when the people left that if it was the Lord's will, he would return to them. We knew it was his desire to get back there. He's, he's back at Ephesus. And he found some disciples. He doesn't say that he found believers or that he found Christians. He found some disciples. And, and what he found in them was lacking. There is no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's why he calls them disciples there, not that they were Christians. Because there was something about them and, and you know, when you meet another believer, if you're traveling and you go to another church, you can tell when you walk in if it's, if it's a church of like faith or not. It's, it's easy to understand and, and to, to feel at home. I always tell the story when we were in my last military assignment, long time ago, 2006, my goodness, we visited a bunch of churches in California looking for that church. And, and the 16th church we went to, no joke, it was 16. 16th church we went to, we walked in the door, and before the service even started, we looked at each other and said, we're home. 
We just knew. And, and there was something that, that, that Paul, he, he didn't find that in these fellows. And, and as we you know, skip to the end there, verse 7, we know that there was about 12 of them that he calls disciples. But the, the, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives was not evident. It wasn't there. So the title of my sermon today is, Are You a Christian? And we talk, we talk about that from time to time. If, if the authorities came in and accused and brought you up on charges of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Or would the prosecutor have a really lame case? Well, in this case, the, with, with these guys, there, there wouldn't have been any case at all. Galatians 5, would you just write that down and probably very familiar with the fruits of the Spirit. And if that fruit is not evident in your life, you don't have the Spirit, and if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a born-again believer. Are you a Christian? You, you, it's, it's easy to figure out if you're a Christian or not. Is there evidence in your life? Are there any of the fruits of the Spirit in your life? Well, in these fellows, there was no evidence of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Michael Green, in his book on Acts, says that it's crystal clear that the, these disciples were in no sense Christians. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Later on in my message, I'm going to get to a point and tell you that there, I'm going to give you some verses to write down to dig deeper, and this is going to be one of those passages that I will remind you of then. But right now, Galatians 3, 1 through 5. You foolish Galatians, and this is Paul writing to them. Remember, the church is... Can you go back to my map, Steve? Thanks. <laughs> um, the, the churches in this area, oh, it's a little higher north, but it included the Antioch, Iconium, Lister, and Derby um, were the churches of Galatia, okay? So there were several churches there. This letter didn't go to just one church. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish... Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? If you have faith, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. It comes with the deal. It's, it's a package deal. You're not going to have the one without the other. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, folks, you don't have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you will have the Holy Spirit. He will indwell you. That's the promise that God gives us. Back to Acts. Flip back to the beginning real quick. Chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. 
Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ on the basis of the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There, there's, you, you can't split the two up. You can't divide them. If you have faith, you'll have the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 of, of Acts chapter 19. So Paul says to them after, after finding these disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, a more literal and better translation of that is, did you re- receive the Holy Spirit having believed? In other words, if you believed, you would have received the Holy Spirit. And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And, and again, not, not the best translation. I understand a lot of this translation of the, the Bible that we have today happened five or 600 years ago. So a little bit, one gets lost in translation and two gets lost in, in time. But it, said, it would be better to have said, no, we have not even heard whether the Holy Spirit has been given. Because if they were disciples... If they were familiar with the Old Testament, which they would have been, they would have known through the Old Testament the teachings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't a foreign concept to somebody who knew the law, who knew the Old Testament. And so for to say we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit, that really doesn't make any sense. Because they would have known that there was a Holy Spirit because of the Old Testament teachings. But... For it to be translated, we have not even heard whether the Holy Spirit has been given. Kind of reminds you a little bit of the guy we just talked about in the chapter before, Apollos. Okay? Apollos, his understanding and his experience and his walk with God, kind of, the story ended at John the Baptist. We talk about Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. We need the rest of the story. These guys didn't have the rest of the story. They, 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 and I'm jumping ahead of myself to verse 3, but uh, into what were you baptized? And they said into John's baptism. Their, their story kind of ended at the same place as Apollos's did. There's a big difference between, these, between Apollos and this group of 12, though. Because in Apollos... We know that he had the Spirit from verse eight, chapter 18, verse 25, that, that he was fervent in the Spirit. We know that he was a believer. We know that he spiritually was on the right footing. But these guys had no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. There was no fruit. And so when he says, we've not even heard whether the Holy Spirit had been given... They, they, were, they were deficient, too, in their, in their spiritual education and understanding. And, they, and this is, Paul takes this opportunity to, to teach and preach to them a more, the more complete truth that John's baptism was a baptism to repentance, but you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need the baptism of Jesus Christ to come into that relationship with him and to have that faith. Paul, in in verse 2, links the Spirit with their faith. 
And in verse 3, he links the Spirit with their baptism. If you are saved, you will have the Holy Spirit residing in here, in you. And, and turn with me to Romans 8. And this is that group of, of scriptures that I'm going to tell you, if you want to dig deeper, you can write down again Galatians 3, 1 through 5. That's one of the passages that we've already read, but that, that applies and, and fits here too. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Bring up one of my favorite illustrations. It'll probably be, until I die, it'll probably be one of my favorite illustrations was when we, Beth and I were at the, the first Getty conference and Paul Tripp was one of the speakers and he, and he was talking about the, the soundtrack of your life, the, the song that rules your heart is the soundtrack of your life. When you wake up in the middle of the night, what song comes to your mind? Is it, is it a song that is honoring to God? Is it a song of praise and worship to Him? Or, or is it a song that is of this world? That it is not of Jesus? What song comes to your heart and mind when you're quiet, when you're alone, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't fall back to sleep? What song rules your life? What is the soundtrack of your heart? the soundtrack of your life. Because this says, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Is your mind and your heart set on things of the Spirit? Or is your heart and your mind set on things of the world? That'll tell you if you're a Christian or not. Verse 7, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Just a few minutes ago, we're talking that if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus in your heart. And this, this is just, just knocking it out of the park, backing it up. However, you are not in the flesh if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. What is that song what is that soundtrack of your heart and your life? And obviously, that's between you and God. But if it isn't, if it isn't of the Spirit, it will be of the flesh. Back to verses 5 and 6 there.
Turn with me to Ephesians, and these again are, are a few of these verses. I, we're, we'll just look at them briefly, but um, write them down so that you can, you can spend more time on them later. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession and to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit seals you. That's why you can't lose your salvation once you have it. And we know that it's nothing we do, but it's what Jesus Christ did for us. Totally based on what he did for us. But the Holy Spirit seals us. Ephesians 3.16 That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. There's that song again. The inner man, the heart. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Write these down, John 14, 17. And we were in Romans 8, and we looked at verses 5 through 9, but you could also write down verses 14 through 16 to, to dig deeper there. If you're saved, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. It's not an option, it's not a choice, it's a package deal. They come together. Verse 3, Paul, Paul uh, back to Acts chapter 19, verse 3, Paul says, And into what have, were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. We've also already talked on that. That they were deficient with Apollo, like Apollos was. So, what, what, what's, Paul, what's any preacher going to do? What's Paul going to do when, when they said, we, we, we don't know? We, we don't have the, the rest of the story. Verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, to believe in him, Jesus. And when they heard this, it doesn't say it, but it's implied in the Greek, when they heard this, they believed it. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I promise you that Paul would not have, would not have baptized them if, if they did not believe. They didn't, so they didn't just hear. They heard and they believed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. That makes a lot of Baptists turn and run. But break it down, it's real easy, guys. They began speaking with tongues. What was, in, in, in earlier in Pentecost, and, and then again, oh, in Samaria, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. The apostles in Jerusalem heard that up in Samaria, and remember the Samaritans were the half-breeds, they, they were half Jewish and half Gentile, so the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them. But Peter takes the word up, or excuse me, 
Philip, thank you, Woo. senior moment there. Uh, Philip is taking the word up there, and the disciples in Jerusalem here, and they send Peter and John, verse 15, this is chapter, Acts chapter 8, verse 15, now, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for they had not yet, he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And then we have, remember, Cornelius and his household. As Peter was preaching to them, the Spirit came on them. There was no laying on of hands. They, they, didn't, even, they didn't even stop. Peter was just still preaching, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them. Because they believed what they were hearing at that moment. They didn't have to wait in, until Philip said, Amen, sermon's over, now the Holy Spirit, you can come. He came when they believed, without the laying on of hands. Why? To, to publicly display that the Holy Spirit was, was coming to different groups of people. The Jews received at Pentecost Samaritans so that the Jews knew that it could go that the half-breeds could be filled with the Holy Spirit they could believe in Jesus and then uh, with Cornelius uh, another Gentile group that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and here Paul lays hands on them and it's just an indication, and there was nothing in Paul's hands, there was nothing in Peter's hands, it was anything special. It was only the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. Paul laid his hands on them, they began speaking in tongues. And what were the tongues back at Pentecost? They were languages so that people that were in Jerusalem at the time from other parts of the world could hear the gospel in their own language. Here we are at Ephesus. It's, it's a port right on the Aegean Sea here. A lot of, lot of commerce, a lot of coming traffic, ebb and flow. Doesn't tell us if there was 12 different languages spoken. We know there was 12 men, so there wasn't more than 12 languages spoken. But it could have been up to 12. So that people could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. That's what the speaking in tongues was. In the prophesying, they weren't telling the future. The prophesying there is forth-telling. They were forth-telling to these people through the, the power of the Holy Spirit in the different languages. They were forth-telling the gospel to these people that were in town from other places so that they could hear the good news. So nothing to be scared of or afraid of. The Holy Spirit was accomplishing the work of, of God. That others could hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now they understood. They understood that, that it didn't stop with John the Baptist and that uh, they weren't still under the law. They now had the privilege of being under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They needed to share and to tell others. We'll stop right there. We, we didn't make it to 10. We'll, we'll, we probably won't hit 8, 9, and 10 either next week because next week we're going to go back and we're, we're going to have communion next Sunday. And, and we're going to go back 
in, into this, this passage again, and, and obviously we'll use some other scriptures um, of examining ourselves. And that's why I read from Psalm 51 in my opening prayer today. Paul, Paul could examine their lives and see that there was no fruit in these disciples. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. Are you a Christian? Is there enough to convict you in a court of law? Is there enough evidence? <laughs> Are the investigators going to have to really dig to find something on you? Or is it right here and easy and open for everybody to see and to know that you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That you know and that you proclaim that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only way we can be saved. It's through the name of Jesus. As Paul, Paul examined them and didn't find any evidence of the Holy Spirit in, in, in the work of Jesus Christ in their lives. Before we come to communion next week, examine yourselves. And we're going to talk more about that examination next week. And, and we'll, like I said, we'll use this as a jumping point, but there will be some other, uh, other scriptures involved. Prepare yourselves. Be ready. Because we don't want to come unworthily to the, to the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Paul. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit through him. But Father, we remember not to worship Paul. We remember to worship Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Because it is, it, it is at the name of Jesus Christ that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It won't be at Paul's name. It won't be at Mary's name. It will be at the name of Jesus. And for that we are grateful, Father. And I just pray for each one here that in this coming week that you would give each and every one a song that reflects the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We commit that to you this week, Father. We thank you for your word. I thank you for each one that's here. Keep them this week, Father. Keep them in your hand. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>